Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Mike Zodos back on the show. Um, I think a lot of you will be aware of who Mike is, uh, but for some of you who aren't aware, because he isn't a huge social media personality, he is part of the Mass Research Review team. That's with Eric Helms. They just brought on Lauren as well, um, and they have Eric Trexler over there. Uh, so you'll be aware of those guys. He is part of that crew, and uh, he is just a fantastic guy and uh, a very smart and intelligent, well-spoken individual too. And it was a great chat again because it's been a while since we talked uh, about uh, a year and a half and so this time we were talking about well the main topic was to be music and its impact on performance and some practical applications to that because I think we all listen to music how might we practically be able to use that and apply that to our training for the best performance outcomes talking about that but also heavily talking about coaching really um, and what a coach is the benefits of a coach and this sort of thing so I think there was a lot of value in that chat and I want to remind you I've already spoken about it the mass research review is just a fantastic resource we are affiliates here at Revive Stronger we have been since they launched because it's such a great thing and actually we probably don't speak about it enough so you might hear me talk about it in further intros in future episodes because it's such a valuable resource for anyone who is a coach practitioner or just a person who's very into the science of lifting and wanting great physique results they do a fantastic job of distilling the latest literature and uh, kind of summarizing that and going over each point so you can really get a deep dive into everything that you would want like I said at the end you'll hear me talk about how it can help content production but also working with clients and just it can become a bit of a bible for uh, strength and hypertrophy because now I can just search in there and I have the whole archive so uh, definitely check it out we have that linked in our bio so you can check it otherwise uh, without further ado let's get into the chat Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Mike Zordos back on the show. We were just chatting about how fast time flies, and the last time we were chatting was about a year and a half ago. It was episode 280, and we were talking about relative intensities for hypertrophy, which... Um, it's probably still quite a hot topic and uh, I, I don't know how much has really changed since uh, that episode actually so I think reviewing that if you're interested in that would actually not be a bad chat at all um, and actually I wanted to get a bit of an update on you Mike I was just listening to the start of that and you'd kind of just recently transitioned towards uh, running versus like your powerlifting background is what you kind of uh, have made a name for and, and are known for how's that all going how's the back injury kind of um, doing now yeah, I appreciate uh, you following up on that. And, and as always, Steve, you know, it, it's awesome to be back on the show. Uh, any, anytime you, you reach out, uh, I'm it's an immediate yes for, uh, for me. So I always enjoy it. So thanks, man. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the transition from lifting to, to running, which I, I made in really in, in March of uh, 2020, kind of actually right around the time the pandemic started, which was was interesting because it, it was it was important for me um, since you know gyms were closed and things like that. I, I it was it was actually worked out really well because I just needed to wake up and, and go run outside. Um, but since I came back on here, and I think it was late 2021. Um, I've ran uh, a couple a couple marathons since then, um, and that's the distance that I've you know kind of specifically training for. Um, improved uh, um, from the first one to the second one pretty pretty dramatically. That's um, gone well. I haven't training's just been ticking along super super well. Injury's been in check. I think I'm up over been really building to the point where I'm I'm over about ninety miles a week now. Um, 
and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've the same coach. She's been coaching me since I started. Really good friend of mine. And you know, fortunately, it hasn't uh, affected the back injury. I don't want to say that that's fixed or gone because I feel like as soon as I say something like that, I'm gonna pick up a sock off the floor later, and, and yeah. I'll be in rough shape. But um, fortunately, it, it's been uh, hasn't been an issue for me. I'll say, and I've been trying to do all the right things. So yeah, it's been going well, enjoyable, and uh, appreciate you following up on it. That's awesome. Yeah, I just uh, I remember it being an an interesting transition. I think I don't know. I, I put you in this category because I still think you're probably a bit of a meathead, or at least uh, you have that kind of background of being a meathead. So like transitioning that far into like marathon running, it's almost like it feels like that's almost opposing to like not uh, maybe actually quite opposing to powerlifting, which is like one max effort versus now like marathon is like it's one of the longest runs you can do in terms of competitively. Yeah, it, it was pretty opposing. I remember when I first started. So, you know, I had, I guess, trained, you know, I trained for powerlifting for a long time. And I talked about this when I was here last time, but o- over the past, over the last year or so, really, of lifting, I had kind of trained more like a bodybuilder. I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't call myself that just because I it wasn't it wasn't very good. I, I didn't train for to compete or anything like that, but just train more for, for muscle growth and not as focused on the, um, the powerlifts just because I, I couldn't with the back issue. Um, and so I, uh, I was like, all right, I'm just going to eat and get, get jacked, man. Let's, let's, let's see what we can do. And so, um, you know, when I competed in powerlifting, I mostly competed at, at the 165 or what became the 162 pound or 74 kilo weight class. Um, but I was up to 185 in pounds or, or, or you know, 190 ish close to that when I had really started running. And so then I was just like, lumbering along. Um, and so that was really the the biggest issue at first was, um, it, it was just felt like I was just super lumbering along trying to get through it. Um, but you know, little by little, it didn't take long to, uh, um, kind of shed some of that weight and, and get a little bit leaner and, uh, you know, get into it. So yeah, it was, it was pretty diametrically opposed. Um, but I had some running background before I, I, I think I mentioned this last time I had run five marathons previously, maybe, maybe, uh, um, 12 years before I got into running. Cause I was a soccer player and had a background in that and then got into lifting and then came back to it. So it, it wasn't a completely foreign concept to me. It was something that I, I felt, you know, decently confident in that I could do okay. It was just kind of getting over the initial stages of not doing it for so long and being so much heavier and, and, uh, uh that sort of thing. And so I know this is, um, kind of heresy, but I, I needed to lose muscle. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, I, I did that, uh, uh, considerably. So people I meet now, you know, and, and, uh, you know, my son is seven years old. So I meet, you know, a lot of new, new friends now and, and other parents with kids from school and, and, and his sports and things like that. And, um, they have no idea that they just look at me and they think I'm, um, like, you know, super, super little. And they don't know that <laughs> I, I, I had lifted weights and, and, and things like that. So it's, um, and if somebody does bring it up, then they're like, really? Like you, are you sure? Can you, can you pick that up? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, not, not, not now. If you could help me with the groceries to the car, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's different, but yeah, it's been, it's been super fun, super enjoyable and, uh, happy, happy to still doing it and, and be healthy doing it. Just out of interest, was that like psychologically tra- challenging at all? I know, like, again, I could say us meatheads, like body dysmorphia is probably something that's, I, I guess people talk about. I don't know how many people like have it objectively, but I think a lot of us think that, I don't know, we, we maybe 
put our feelings towards our physique and it means something to us and to other people to be looking big and what have you, especially, I guess, as a bodybuilder, where that is what you're specifically judged for. Did you feel any of that or was it quite easy to let it go? You, you know, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I didn't feel any, um, because I think, you know, I don't want to say everyone. I, I certainly don't know how other people view things, but I, I would I would wager that a lot of people, even if they aren't bodybuilders, um, you know, have, you know, even if I'm training for powerlifting and I'm, I'm, a side effect of that is you're going to look bigger and stronger. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, you walk around like that for a long enough time and, you know, when you go most places, you know, we, we're, we're in this community. So if we're all around each other, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people don't look, uh, especially big and strong because we're comparing to each other, right? You watch a basketball game on TV and you think, ah, that guy's not that tall. Well, he's six, six. And he's just standing next to, to you know, uh, Kevin Durant, who's 7'1". And uh, so you see him in real life and like, oh, wow, he's super tall. Um, and so, yeah, you, you go places and, and, you know, there's there's comments and, and people get a lot more comments than me. It's not like I was I was that big of a person. But, um, yeah, oh, you, yeah, you must lift weights. So, wow, like, you know, you, and then you you shrink. And, uh, you know, the first, the first like, 20-pound of weight loss, it, it just looked like I was getting ready for the stage, right? I was like, this, this is, this is great. You know, I just, I just look like I'm getting ready for the stage. Now it's a bit different. Um, I haven't gotten the scale in a long time, but in pounds, I have to be close to about 150 pounds. Even I'm, I'm, I'm pretty small. And so, yeah, I think at first, you know, your shirts start fitting, you know, uh, uh, a lot easier. There's a, there's a lot of room between your, your biceps and the sleeve. And, and, uh, um, but you know, it, it was, I, I'll tell you what, because I didn't really train, you know, for bodybuilding for many years or compete. And, and it was never why I got into lifting. It wasn't that huge of a deal for me. Yeah. Again, I'd be lying if I say like, I didn't look in the mirror once or twice and be like, uh, yeah, maybe I should, I should rethink, yeah. <laughs> you know, rethink this. But what the reason it wasn't a, a huge deal is because I just felt so much better. Not in the sense that like, you know, running as healthy as lifting is unhealthy. That that would be a, a poor scientific point of view. Uh, that's that's not what I'm after. What I am after is though is my my back injury stopped being an issue, um, at least day to day. I could run around with my son. I felt kind of more athletic again, and I started coaching his sports. And I could run around with the kids, and I could kick a soccer ball and shoot a basketball and do these things. And um, uh, that from on a day to day, I felt more energized. I was also training for something without an injury. So when I get up and train now in the morning, I'm super excited to do it. Whereas before I was kind of just mentally just kind of trudging through it. I hope I can walk at the end of this session. And so any thoughts of, ah, you know, I'm, I'm looking kind of small now, um, weren't that big of a deal to me because one, it wasn't why I trained in the first place. And two, all of those other things just more than offset it. And had me feeling so positive, so excited. I was making progress at something again. Uh, part of it, I think, too, is just because I have a, a, a coach. And so I'm accountable to her. And um, she was giving me positive feedback. And it... it um, you know, so I think those things outweighed it again, not to say that, um, I wasn't like, ah, you know, it'd be nice to, to 
not look so small and weak all the time. Um, but it's, it's a different thing. It's a different feeling. It feels great to, you know, um, be able to, to be at the, the kids practice and, and sprint across the field and go do something. And, and, uh, you know, somebody say, Hey, you want to go play in this, uh, you know, pick up soccer game. I can go out there and, and, you know, play, play well, which before I wouldn't have been able to do. So I think different things come, come along with it. And, you know, uh, uh, I mentioned this guy to you before we were on the start, um, to paraphrase. And, and one of my favorite people in the world is, is Matt Gary and Matt, and I may have mentioned this last time, I think of it often. He, he talks about, you know, sometimes you have things in your life and, um, it could be tangible, intangible, and, um, you know, they're really important to you and meaningful at a time. Um, but then you move on in life and then something else becomes meaningful to you. But that thing that was meaningful to you, it may now be super meaningful to somebody else. And it may be an important thing in their life. So if it's something tangible, perhaps you can hand it to them. But I tend to think of kind of lifting in that way. It served a, a huge purpose in my life. And without it, I would probably only be chatting right now. And um, But I've kind of moved on from that, at least what I do personally. And But it's a, it's a super important thing for some people. And, you know, I think of, I, I know others that have, we're, we're runners and have kind of transitioned into lifting. And, and they kind of view it that way. So I don't know, it just makes me think, I, I think of, uh, you know, paraphrasing again from Matt often. And, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of a cool thing, how things can be super meaningful to, to people at one point. And then, um, although they're not doing that thing with, without that thing, it, it, it did shape what they're doing now. And, and, and everything is kind of a, a important and a piece to that puzzle. So I hope that wasn't too far off the topic there, but um, it, it's kind of part of the, part of the journey, if you will. No, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel that in terms of, yeah, it's funny. Also, you kind of went full circle. You went runner to weightlifting back to running. Um, I also was, I did a bit of running, but n not any marathons and as seriously as you, but I think the thing I at least take from that is focusing on kind of, the upside and having more in your life than just you are just uh, Mike, the guy that lifts and power lifts and doesn't have anything else going on in his life. And also seeing it's kind of like when you're cutting, focusing on the benefits that cutting brings and how that feels good. And then when you're kind of gaining, focusing on all the benefits of like the food freedom, the extra energy. And like now it's like, okay, I don't like pick up football. Uh, I would love to go in like play i guess soccer is what i'm gonna call it here but football for us is soccer sure. so like i used to play that quite a lot but now like i can't just i mean i could go play but i wouldn't then be able to go and do my bodybuilding workouts i'd be completely screwed so if bodybuilding went by the wayside for me i think i would enjoy being able to have that freedom to other things and like you said you kind of what's going good now might change in future but i think for a lot of us we just need something that we can progress with and have something we can enjoy in our lives that is healthy that that's that's it. I, that's really the the main point and how I've always felt, which is you need something to progress with. And I think not 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 everybody, but so many of us in this um, in this realm of of the fitness industry and and, and strength sports and so forth. Um, it, it's it's you know I, I enjoyed powerlifting, but it wasn't like my favorite sport. It wasn't you know um, I, I I I was not competitive in these other sports anymore. So I needed to find something to be able to do. And I said, okay, I'm not terrible at this. It's cool. I like, you know, lifting weights. That's fun. Let's, let's, let's get after it. Let's, let's go. Um, but 
to to be into into running now and 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 you know specifically uh the marathon it's it's another event to to train for to train hard for to focus on to have something outside of you know everything else day to day to to know you can progress you know um you know you don't let it consume your life but you know everybody listening to this has, has been sitting at a at a dinner table with you know friends family whatever and there's conversation and they just tune out and they're just they're just thinking about training um you're just thinking about what you did that day or what you have to do tomorrow or, you know, somebody's talking and then you just know, you know, no, no conception of what they're saying because you're thinking about it. And, uh, um, while we may do that a little bit too much, I, I do enjoy having kind of that other aspect to, to life. And, and if it doesn't have to be, uh, lifting for me, some people have something that they, okay, that's their thing. Um, but I think that we, you said it really, really well, which is to have that something to progress at. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to have something I can progress at, um, in which I feel healthy, uh, doing it. And if that changes, hopefully it doesn't. Um, uh, but if something happens and I can no longer pursue that activity, uh, I would replace it with something else. And, and, it, it, it would, I, I do enjoy, uh, you know, just exercise in general, the physical nature, but that could be replaced with a non-exercising activity too, potentially. Um, and, and, and so forth. But I, I think the way you said it is on point. I, I feel the same way. And this randomly came in as a question for me, for you, Mike, but, uh, as you were talking there, I was thinking about how you've transitioned obviously even away from kind of weight training, but even previously you were like powerlifting, uh, less bodybuilding focused, hypertrophy focused, but you do look at that research. And I wonder, because sometimes I think it's great as a practitioner who is in the research, who also does the style of training, maybe that they're kind of researching and interested in, like, I don't know, Eric Helms is a bodybuilder. He's very interested in hypertrophy research. Do you think having the kind of outsider perspective even sometimes allows you to see it in a different way where you're not biased by your own, like, training and feedback i don't know if you've even noticed this when you've been running more versus like and taking a backseat from those other things it's allowed you to look at the research i don't know if more objectively is the right way to say it but you haven't got these kind of subjectivities make you look at it slightly differently i don't know if you've noticed that yeah you mean because i'm not involved in lifting anymore if it's a little easier for me to be objective in how i look at the research yeah like you haven't got i don't know yeah. You love squats, so if any research came out that said squats, ah, they're not that good for hypertrophy or whatever it might be, you might be like, oh. Yeah, right. Like, how how dare you, science? Yeah. Like, don't. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that is um, actually a fantastic point. I, I've thought about that a little bit. I, I do feel, I definitely feel more disconnected, not in a bad way, but more disconnected from any particular ideology of lifting. Um which I think is a very good thing as a researcher, because uh, you know when when you conduct research, the number one rule is that you, you don't care what the results are. What the results are are irrelevant to you. You're out. You're you're trying to answer a question. You might have a hypothesis. If you have a hypothesis, then that's going to uh, uh, you know mean that you're going to utilize a a certain statistical model. Whereas if you don't have a hypothesis, you might use a a different model. So the statistics need to answer uh, the question that you've asked, and the study needs to be designed to do that. And the hypothesis is part of that. Um, but I, I when you're a researcher, you don't care what the results are. You ask the question, you conduct the study, and whatever they are, they are. Um, and, and as somebody who's not engaged in that type of lifting anymore. Um, you know, I, 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 it definitely, when I read papers on my own, uh, papers that come out, um, it's more of, oh, interesting. That's cool. And I, I kind of always thought that way, but 
I'm sure there were times because we all have unconscious biases. And so when we're, we're reading something and I was doing this style of training, I'm sure there were times where without really realizing it, I was reading a paper and being like, you know, the results maybe weren't what I was doing in my own training and thinking like, come on, like, you know, you know, come on. And even though, you know, you're supposed to be objective and look at it, you don't necessarily change your training right away because you're kind of super beholden to, to that, at least for yourself. You know, I, I always do this, you know, I saw, I saw good progress on this seven years ago on my second volume block or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I, I do feel, I say the one thing is I've become a lot more interested in other areas of resistance training research. Uh, you know, one of those areas I think we're going to maybe chat about today. Uh, I have become interested in the effects of, of, uh, mental fatigue on resistance training performance. Um, a lot of external extrinsic motivators, um, which is related to what we're going to talk about, I believe. Um, and, and, you know, still the proximity to failure conversation that, that we've talked about last time. And some of my students are doing a great job finishing up a meta analysis on, on that, um, credit, credit to them. And, uh, so that's the cool thing. We do some work with, with, um, exercise oncology patients in our lab. Uh, so some, some, uh, cancer patients undergoing curative treatments and so forth. So yeah, it, it has allowed me, I think that's the one thing is to step back and say, Hey, exercise in general is just so powerful and, and so healthy and so good for you when, when, you know, not done to the extreme and done appropriately and, and fitting well in somebody's lifestyle. And so I've become quite interested in, in these other topics. Um, doesn't mean my interest in what we've always done has gone away. Most of our papers are still on that. It's, it's what we kind of do best in our lab and it's what we know how to do. Um, but that has been cool to, to be come interested in that. I'll tell you what though, with running, I, I, I still don't pay any attention to that research. Um, <laughs> I don't, I actually don't want to know, not because I'm not interested in it. Um, but part of my issue with lifting is I was a self coach, which was a terrible idea. And if I had to do it again, Steve, I'd reach out to you. I'd reach out to Matt Gary. I'd reach out to Eric Helms. I'd reach out to Ben Esker. I'd reach out to so many people, right? Um, some of my students, Zach Robinson, Josh Pellin, uh, um, I'd reach out to, to somebody and I would say, Hey, can you coach me? And, um, so I was always, uh, hamstrung cause I, I would just debate over the most minor details that I didn't need to be worrying about. But with running, I have my coach, uh, she's a scientist in the field and she writes it and whatever goes on the page. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of like Ron Burgundy, whatever she writes down, I will, I will do. Um, and I don't ask any questions and I, I don't, she's, are you looking at the research? I should know. I don't want to know. I don't want to think I should question. I just, just write it down and I will do it. Um, so that has been a very nice as aspect of it. I can see how freeing that could be. In fact, I've had it with clients before where it probably doesn't come as a huge surprise, but a lot of the people I coach are in the field themselves, like they're coaches and they're coaching other people. And it's just nice for them not to like, they can overthink it when they're doing it themselves. And even for myself, like I'm self-coached and I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of like, you end up questioning things. And if I don't just like embrace what's written down, sometimes like you can get carried away, you can want to fiddle with it too often. So I imagine it's quite a relief to have someone just to be like, offload it on and just you, you take care of it. And maybe, I don't know if this is fair to say, but I think part of the reason I struggle to let go of it is because I'm, I care so much about the outcome and I want to make sure to know everything I'm doing it's my fault if it's wrong if it's right like I, I take control of that whereas I guess for marathon running it's not like 
I don't know, not that body, like natural bodybuilding is like as a sport, it's not like one of, if it, we can call it a sport, it's not like, uh, like a, a huge deal or anything, but I would love to like go pro one day, for example. And I'd worry almost if someone had control of that, I'm like, oh man, am I losing out on something like if I could have it? Um, that's at least, I think something, some reason I struggle to let go of it, but yeah, I don't know if for you, it's just been a big relief to like someone just take the, the reins. It's been an, an enormous relief, right? It's, it's also the, also the time, um, you know, the, the, the time to write your own training and think and agonize over that. So it has been a huge time saver. I, I also say that in this area, right? Like if, if you think all those, those people I just mentioned, or just you and me, you know, chatting and coaching, you know, we, we have, we both have uh, a lot of training knowledge. And so if, if we're, it's hard to relinquish control when you do know what you're doing. Cause Steve, you, you know what you're doing. You're more than capable of coaching yourself and you've been so beneficial for so many other people. So it's hard to relinquish that control. When I, I look at what I do now, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So it's a lot easier to say, Hey, uh, I say to, to my coach, to Sarah, I say, Hey, Sarah, can you coach me? You've been a successful uh, uh, long distance runner for years. You're you're published papers in that area. You're a researcher. I just don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And so it's it's quite easy to relinquish that control um, when you have no idea. Um, when on this other thing, I'd like to think that if I were to be lifting again, that I would call you up. You know, I would call one of those other people up and say, hey let's go. Can you write this for me? Um, but I don't know that I would. Yeah. Right. I, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to think that, right. I'd like to think that, but when you don't have as much knowledge and you know, for sure that this other person is just going to do a way better job, it's easy. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's a huge relief, um, to do that. And things pop up on the page, put full trust in that person. You start to see progress and then, you know, you don't, you don't question. So it's, it's nice. And then, you know, the the one thing that I've really learned from this, and I may have mentioned this last time we were here too, is just just the general value in having a coach. You know, you have that person you're accountable to. You you know you you you're searching for their feedback. You you get excited when they they let you know, hey, you're doing a great job, or or hey, we need to work on this, or whatever it might be. Um, especially somebody that you mesh well with, you know, if that person and their style and, and goes well for you, because that's so much of coaching, uh, and you feel accountable to them. And and you know, so many times, especially the the way I kind of an indirect way, I could always tell training wasn't going well for me when I was lifting. Is I could look back and say, oh wow, look how many times intercession I altered what was on my plan, you know? Um, oh, I decided that, and I would rationalize, I, uh, well, I'm not going to do that today because of this or because of this. Well, and, and when you write it for yourself, I don't feel as beholden to it. Um, but now that's not an option. Um, coach said, run 12 miles. I run 12 miles. Coach said, do this. I do this. She said, do this. It, it, it doesn't matter. Um, and so there's none of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd be embarrassed to send back and say, uh, Hey, I only, I only did this today. Uh, you know, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge relief to have that. And, uh, just the value of a coach, you know, for anybody out there that is, is coaching themselves, um, 
And, and if it's going great and, and it doesn't mean everybody, right? Cause some people are very effective coaches of themselves, but if you're coaching yourself and you feel start out, I would say, don't hesitate to, to reach out to somebody that you trust, uh, and go ahead and, and have them work on your training or write your training. It doesn't, you know, when I, when I first got into this, maybe over a decade ago, I, I thought, I thought to myself and I was super young at the time, you know, if I ask somebody else that that's, I, I must not mean I know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. But I, I know what I'm doing, um, but that's the opposite of what that means. Um, you, you, you could very much know what you're doing and you have the self-awareness to recognize that, hey, I, I, I too still need help. Um, I'm not as objective with myself and what I, the way I do things also may not be super correct. And sometimes, as we know in, in, in lifting, right, there's individual responses to training and, and, and this person may respond better to this type of training than, than this person. Um, let's say you're, you're really beholden to this type of training and, but you're actually not somebody that responds well to that, but you really think that's the way to go. And, and you're writing your own training programs. You're, you may not be objective enough to realize that your theory of training is why you're not making progress. Um, and somebody else might be able to step in and do that. So the, the more time goes on, you know, I, I just see the value for so many reasons, you know, um, the, the accountability reason, the actual programming reason, you know, the, the mental aspect of it and the relief, as you talked about, of having a coach just being so valuable if you believe in that person. And so I'm, I'm fortunate to have that now. And I'd like to think if I had to lift again, I'd, I'd go that route. That makes, it makes so much sense. Uh, and I think. I'm fortunate in that I get to talk to people like yourself on a regular basis and I, I have people in the industry that I can talk to. And so it kind of, in a way, keeps me accountable uh, and also sharing my process a lot. I feel like even though that's just like social media, it's kind of keeping me accountable and keeps me interested importantly, because I think that's part of it uh, for some people. They just kind of get like complacent with it. They're not kind of keeping things moving over. And uh, the time aspect, I don't think a lot of people take the time to actually see like, have I actually has my body weight gone up over the last month or have I just been like going to the gym, going through the motions? So staying on top of all those variables, which a coach just does because that's kind of part of the process and you have to like log your stuff. But when you're doing it all yourself, it's easy to let those things go. I can't remember who said it to me, but something like oftentimes car mechanics have the most beat up cars, like hairdressers, often their hair isn't like the best because they, they take care of so many other people's. They're just not taking care of themselves because they don't have the time or the, I guess the effort or motivation to do it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's... That's a super good way to look at it using those other analogies. And, and I, I do think we see that a lot um, with with people, especially people, like you said, that kind of take care of so many other people then when it comes to themselves. And, and, and in a way, it's 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 impressive because that person really has such a deep care level for others. But, you know, sometimes you're going to be better at taking care of others if you take care of yourself first. And, and I don't think it's, it's selfish to also think, and I mean, maybe in the truest definition of the word is, but I should say, I don't think there's anything wrong with it to also say, Hey, I also need to take care of myself. Um, and, uh, cause eventually if you don't, and, and for us, you know, in terms of exercise and what we do, we're, we're you and I are chatting today and, and, and folks are listening to this podcast and, 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 and other podcasts, not that I would ever listen to another podcast, but, um, uh, and, and other podcasts and, 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 you know, consuming other information, uh, because we, we care about exercise and uh, we care about, about bodybuilding, powerlifting, and, and these other things. And, um, 
which means it's important to us and it's important for us to be able to function optimally, if, if you will, not necessarily physically, but to be able to get through the day. You know, you have a great workout, you, you smash a, a PR or PB and, and you feel awesome that day. It almost doesn't matter, you know, what else happens, you know, whatever, whatever will happen, schoolwork, whatever, you're feeling great. Um, and so I, I do think it's important to take care of yourself in that respect. And, and then you're probably going to be a better coach for other people if you're, if you're feeling positive about that and, and so forth. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a huge thing and, and, um, you know, to be able to focus on, on, on that aspect too. I, I completely agree. And uh, you touched on this a few times uh, in terms of the topic uh, and why I actually brought you on, Mike, but I thought that was a good uh, kind of conversation to have and I appreciate it. But the the topic that we we're going to kind of cover today was, I guess it, the title is, Does Listening to Music Boost Performance? And uh, I just thought it's, like you said in the presentation, it's something so practical, something every day. I guess you see some people don't listen to music, but then the gym's playing music or what have you. And I know personally, like, I don't know, there's even memes where if you forget your headphones, like you're going to have a bad workout or whatever it might be. And I mean, how much science has it has to show for this? And so I think it's a really valuable topic of discussion because like everyone listening will probably have some uh, form of influence through this. So I guess maybe starting with, uh, like you did in your presentation in Mass, which if you're not subscribed, by the way, definitely should be subscribed to the Mass Research Review because it's fantastic. But it was a summary of kind of the studies and then we can dig into kind of the specifics from there maybe. For sure. Yeah. So I I, I did start writing about this in Mass, um, wrote a couple articles on it, then, then made a video uh, summing up the literature. And so... I think it's important to understand because it'll bring some other aspects into it. So when we talk about listening to music, and I'll get to the general findings in, in, in a minute, but what what is that? Why would that potentially help performance? And, you know, it, it's kind of a simplistic explanation, but I think everybody can kind of tell this when they listen to music. So for hypertrophy, I think most people are familiar with kind of the inverted U type of curve, right? If you're doing... Uh, you know, one set a week and you haven't trained before, you're going to experience some hypertrophy. Three sets, you're going to get more, five sets, more growth, 10 sets, more growth. Above that, you'll probably get some more growth depending on experience, up to 20 sets, whatever. Then eventually, if you're doing, you know, 50 sets a week on a muscle group, you're going to start to kind of level off and, and maybe it's too much and and you're not going to experience um, as much growth from that or maybe have your growth, growth a little bit attenuated. And so what music is doing is it's increasing arousal and excitability. And so arousal and excitability is good to a point. You're going to, you know, probably perform better. Uh, you know, you're, you're sleepy, you're tired, you're, you're just not into it that day. Um, but music kicks in and all of a sudden arousal goes up, excitability is up, up, but you get that same inverted U. Whereas if it goes up too much, then you kind of might interfere with performance. And I'll explain how I think that happens. And so the data on, on, on music, cause it's an, it's an external, um, feedback, you know, external motivator. And so other examples of this, just so we can kind of understand the, the other things that come into play are, let's say verbal encouragement. So you have a training partner, uh, and that person is telling you, Hey, great job. Let's go, you know, whatever, whatever it is a little bit more excited than I just was, but something like that. Um, you know, you have velocity feedback. So somebody might be telling you, Hey, 
that rep was 0.55 meters per second. That rep was 0.52 meters per second. Uh, you might view velocity, right? If you're training by yourself and you still want to have some sort of external motivator, you might have a display unit on a linear position transducer or on a phone. You have a phone app. You put that phone in front of you while you're squatting and you can see it. That last uh, rep was 0.55 meters per second. All right, you're going to be more motivated now. I want to keep that same velocity. I want my velocity to drop, or I want to get eight reps in before I hit 0.25 meters per second, right? My my seventh one was at 0.30. I really need to be motivated and get this one. So that external motivator, that external um, feedback, if you will, and that's really what music is. And so the overarching data on music is pretty strong to show that music that's listened to either during actual sets or during the warm-up and between sets, not warm-up alone, but during the warm-up and between sets or during actual sets, increases muscular endurance. So let's say reps to failure at you know, 70, 75%. And most of the studies have actually been 75% of 1RM reps to failure on the bench press. Um, there's one study, I believe, on squats, but most have been on the bench press. I wouldn't expect the data to be different. Um, let's say on squat versus bench press and or other exercises and so forth. Obviously, in the absence of that data, I can't 100% say that to be sure, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it to be different. The mechanism makes sense. It doesn't seem, though, that music seems to enhance 1RM performance or max strength performance, although there isn't as much data in that area. Now, a couple things that I'll talk about maybe why, you know, the music with max strength, once we get to the downside of, of uh the kind of excitability and, and arousal uh, curve, the issue that could be with that. But the other thing to note about this is these studies, it's not just any music. And it, it ha the, the data is looking at preferred music. And so, and, and also the music has to be of a fast enough cadence. So typically the music that is enhancing performance is 120 beats per minute. And actually, What's interesting is, Steve, I, I when we were emailing the other day, um, we talked about this topic. I said, like, hey, it's a great topic. And I noticed a new paper just came out. So I sent that to you. It wasn't on lifting. It was on Taekwondo athletes. But um, it looked at different cadences of music. Um, I think 140 beats per minute versus 200 beats per minute. And it was looking at specific skills. Uh, the 140 beats per minute seemed to improve skilled performance. But the 200 beats per minute did not. And I think that's part of the issue when you get to the other side of that arousal curve. When it's too much, somebody could lose focus on a skilled performance. So if you know, you're know you going to uh, you know max a 1RM squad, and maybe you don't have necessarily technical mastery of the lifts yet, but you really want to get jacked up for this lift. So imagine it's like 2001. So you're listening to Drowning Pool because obviously, and um, uh, you, you put that on, uh, there's only one song that you ever hear on the internet and you're getting really, really excited uh, for that 1RM and you put that that song up super loud or, or the, the cadence of a song is super fast. Well, then arousal could be a bit too high. You, you might make a technique error. You might not actually be as focused as you otherwise would have been uh, for that limit lift or for that technical skill. And, and I think that's potentially what they saw in the um, Taekwondo athletes at 200 beats per minute versus 140 beats per minute. So in general, the data seems to show that muscular endurance, uh, specifically on the bench press in these studies, is improved when preferred music, uh, somebody's preferred genre, is used at 120 beats per minute. And, and you know, there's other personal preference, I think, that goes into it. But it, it, data do seem to show that it's not just, hey, let me put on this this heavy music. It's 
what does somebody actually enjoy? What's going to, and so I think it sounds funny and, and I, you know, I, and part of this is still true to an extent. Um, but it always sounds funny. Somebody would say like, Hey man, can you, can you change it? That's not, I don't want to listen to that. Well, we train, whatever. And you're thinking like, it doesn't matter. Like, come on early, you know, but it, it may, um, it may. And, and I actually, one, one other point on this is I think it's always important to understand and to not just say this increases muscular endurance, but to what degree are we talking about? And in the, the studies, a lot has been done by uh, a researcher. Uh, uh, their name is Ballman. Uh, Ballman et al. are a lot of these studies. And um, looking at about two reps. Uh, and so I think in some of the studies around 75% of 1RM, uh, uh, control group or non-preferred music uh, or condition, I should say, is performing about 12 reps to failure, whereas with music, about 14 reps per failure. So about two rep difference, which, you know, is is important. Um, and, and I don't know if you have another question you want to get in. Can I go down that road for a second, though? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So... Um, Here's something that I, I've been thinking about a lot and talking about a lot. Whenever I, I, uh, I sum up a, a mass article recently, I, I kind of bring this up, which is, all right, so acute studies should really inform us of how to then conduct a long-term study. So if we have this acute study looking at music, right, preferred music versus a control, meaning no music or versus uh, uh, non-preferred music. So uh, individuals come in one day, they, in, in a randomized order, they listen to music um, and they do bench press reps to failure at 70%. They come in another day, they don't listen to music, they do bench press reps to failure at 75% of 1RM. They compare, okay, music adds two reps to that. That's great, but what's the point of that, right? The point of that is that it should lead to better long-term outcomes. To say that so if somebody had asked me on that data, should you listen to music when you train? I'd say, yeah, we should probably on average, not every single person, right? But on average, listening to preferred music seems to be a good idea. I would recommend that. But over the long term, does it translate to greater strength or hypertrophy? It's a, it's a huge leap to go from an acute study to say that, yeah, you're probably going to see greater growth if you do this thing. Like think of a supplement that adds one rep you know, over a few sets and that's statistically significant. And, but if you take that supplement, does that mean you're going to have greater hypertrophy over the long term? Not necessarily. Because if those, you then do a follow-up study with two groups and you have preferred music versus a controller versus non-preferred music. And those are different questions, by the way. Um, if you have one of those and then, you know, train two to three times a week and the, the music group listens to music every session uh, and the control group doesn't listen to music at all. To, for that to lead to greater hypertrophy, you would first have to say, all right, this is going to lead to two more reps on every single set or more reps on every set, uh, more volume over the course of that eight-week training study or however long it is. And then that's going to be enough of a difference in volume or enough of a difference in the number of reps performed to actually translate into greater growth. And I'm not sure that's the case, right? I'm, I'm not sure that's the case. And, and I'm not picking on the music data with a lot of things. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a large leap to be able to say that. The other thing is, is this effect only acute or does it last all, every time? Just because something happens acutely 
doesn't mean that over time it won't happen. Maybe the control group uh, adapts to to this. Maybe they find other ways to compensate for the lack of music and it becomes a moot point in the long run. Um, or maybe that that arousal every session is too much for that person to maintain um, and, and they, they can't do it, right? Like I wouldn't recommend necessarily getting super fired up on every single set. You can't maintain that. Anyways, the point being, and, and, and back up, that's also predicated if you're going to take that as it is and plug it into a long-term training study, then that's saying it's increasing the number of reps performed and could be more volume when you train to failure on every single set. Should you even do that? I would recommend no. Theoretically, if instead of the control group performing 12 reps in the four, and, and then 14 reps in the music group in the Bowen study, if they did 10 reps, it would be a 2RAR um, uh, versus a 4RAR. Um, and so then you would say, all right, maybe to equate for RAR, the music group could perform 12 reps, 12 reps from 14, they'd be at a 2RAR. And the control group, they performed 10 reps when they could do 12, would be at a 2RAR. So maybe you equate for RAR. And so so by getting more reps, then maybe the, the music group would do better, but that's another application of it. But it's, it's all just very difficult to say. And again, this is just kind of a, a, a general message about these acute studies. When we see something, I think it is cool. Um, I would absolutely listen to preferred music when I train. It's also fun. Um, but does that mean it's going to translate into better gains over the long term just because you do that? That's a little bit of a larger leap. There could be some downstream effects, right? What are the downstream effects? Well, this should increase motivation. So by increasing motivation, perhaps you're adhering to training better. Um, and perhaps that, perhaps that now I was just super pessimistic, right? I just gave the view of, eh, maybe this doesn't last every time, but perhaps because somebody is motivated and maybe the control group never adapts to that, maybe that difference actually becomes larger over time. And so maybe it is better. The point being, I don't know, um, but it's, it's a, we, we need to go from, from you, you, when you, you're, you've conducted a study, you can kind of say this, which is acutely does listening to fast paced music allow for more repetitions performed when you go to failure on the bench press at 75% of one around. That's a very specific question. The answer is yes. Does that matter over the long term? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to say, uh, for, for all of those reasons. So in research, you, you have point A and you can't go from point A to point C. You have to get to point B and do that long-term study. You know, if, if anybody's familiar with like sodium bicarbonate data, um, sodium bicarbonate, um, is an, is, uh, an alkalizing agent, um, serving to, to raise pH and, and delay acidosis. And it does seem to do that effectively. And it does seem to improve, um, uh, acute performance in, in some studies, but in a longitudinal study from Siegler et al., um, they looked at that performance in every session over a long-term study, and it didn't improve long-term performance, although it improved acute performance in one session. So just because something works one time doesn't mean it's going to continue to do that, although it did continue to increase pH, um, but it didn't continue to improve performance in that study. So long explanation. Hopefully that was coherent enough. No, I, I really enjoyed it because I think it's very easy to look at this research and be like, no brainer, listen to music, like whatever gets you amped up because it improves performance. But it is that longer term perspective that is super important that we can't answer from this acute research. And I think probably you can probably speak to this as well, Mike and, and the listeners, I can definitely speak to it where, like you said, with music, there is this point of which if you use it too much, it's kind of like arousal in general, 
it has fatigue costs. And so you don't even know if it's going to last like set to set or even like within the session, you could end up getting fatigued earlier within the week, that sort of thing. So I almost view it a little bit like caffeine. Like if I use the caffeine a bit too much, like I end up not quite, I end up getting more fatigued or maybe less sleep from it. And so if I kind of abuse that kind of arousal mechanism too often, it, it can lead to unwanted downstream for kind of fatiguing effects for lack of a better term, at least anecdotally. Yes, there's no question. I think there's a, there's a lot like, you know, it, it, another another way to look at it would be like an ammonia capsule. Um, you know, is somebody going to break an ammonia capsule on every set? I, I would hope not. Um, you know, that would be a very difficult to sustain that. I've, I've talked about before and load progression models. Um, and let's say somebody's doing, you know, an, an, an AMRAP set or a plus set um, and they really get amped up for that set and they go to failure. That's great, but can you get that way on every single set? Right, you do you do five sets of four, and the last set is to failure. Well, the first the first four of those five sets, you do four reps, and you you record an RIR of two, um, which means if you did four reps, you could have gotten six. But on the last set, you end up getting eight. Well, why'd you get eight? Yeah, you turned that music up a little bit louder, so it probably helped. You got a little amped up. You got jacked up for it, but would you really be able to maintain that level every single time? Uh, probably, probably not. Right. Um, so I think your point is, is really well taken and, and, uh, you know, everyone should be, you know, careful and cautious about how they utilize these tools. They're effective tools, uh, and they're tools that I think we, we all can use and should use. And, and some people may benefit more than others at certain times. And, and, you know, that that's another point, which is, I, I, whenever I write about something like music, I'm always careful to say that this is the the finding on average. This is the finding on the group level, because I think we all know uh, people that are uh, uh, a bit more, at least externally reserved, and th that person may not want to listen to fast paced music or heavy music or, or something like that. Maybe they prefer training in quiet, or maybe they prefer. Um, you know, uh, uh, listening to a podcast or, or, or whatever it might be, um, or on just a specific day, they're, they're, they're not, they're not interested in doing that. And so in their, their personality type doesn't really lend itself to that kind of external going crazy. You know, one of the years ago, still one of the most impressive things I think I've ever watched is, uh, I stumbled across, um, maybe 15 years ago, a, a video of, uh, a Mike to uh, squatting 700 for one, in his garage with completely quiet with no belt, um, 700 pounds that is. And, um, he had no music, nothing, just so quiet. And he, he, he was like, had like no emotion. Um, but inside I'm sure he was going crazy, but I, I, I'm not sure the music would have, would have helped him in that situation. I don't want to speak for him. Right. But, um, just from the outside, I remember the caption on the YouTube video was something to the effect of, uh, not like not bad. Haven't done this movement in a while. <laughs> And I was like, that's, that's amazing. Right. Uh, but you know, the, the point being is I think it's a finding on average, but it, it's not to say that somebody, um, who doesn't feel comfortable with this or could, as we talked about earlier, easily lose their focus and doesn't have technical mastery of the lifts, um, get out of their comfort zone. Um, and, uh, it could have a negative effect, uh, in that way. So it's, it's kind of when used normally on average, that seems to be, to be the general effect. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a the plan? Then 
it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We create the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. Hi guys, I have some exciting news to share with you. We have have our first official sponsor on the podcast and that is Caldera Lab. And I got to try out their regimen, which was the clean slate followed by the base. And then in the evening, the clean slate again, followed by the good and the icon. And uh, it's been really easy just to incorporate this into my routine. And I have actually been interested in this sort of thing as I grow older into my mid thirties. I care more about wrinkles and uh, I have noticed my skin looking softer, feeling softer and just basically looking clearer. And my girlfriend also agrees. So it's been nice to be able to use these and to be able to share with you that. And you can get an exclusive discount code, which is revive, which gets you 20% off their products. If you head over to calderalab.com. So that's code revive, head over to calderalab.com and you can uh, get some clear skin like me. Yeah, there was something here as well where you mentioned, and I think this is why maybe the one rep maxes wasn't quite as beneficial for with this like internal versus external focus where uh, I think it was is helping people with that internal focus, but not so much the ex- external. So that makes me think when I'm like approaching some like bigger compound lifts, if I get, especially for legs in particular, this is if I get too aroused or use too much music on those, I get like I, I I can't execute it how I should. I need to kind of have like a calm focus within those sets. We, I've actually picked music that is more appropriate. Maybe the tempo is a bit slower so that I can really lock in. Whereas like, I don't know, a lateral raise variant, if I'm locked into a machine, it's far easier just to go out. Like, let's go all out on this. And like the music therefore can be just louder, more kind of uh, upbeat and fast. So I don't know if that's an appropriate way of me kind of <laughs> interpreting that. It does. Yeah. You know, cause I'm thinking about things from the various training goals and perspectives. And so when we, we talk about the terms internal and external focus, you know, this can also apply to, if to, you know, it has an effect on muscle growth potentially. So if we think of an external focus, that's really more of associated with just, just getting the weight up, doing as many reps as you can completing it, you know, not that you're, you're going to just completely break technique, but you're, you're just getting as many reps as you can. And that's kind of what the data is showing on that, that 75% to failure bench press, uh, um, data from in the Ballman studies, but there's other data that looks at, let's say from a physique perspective an internal focus and really focusing on contracting the muscle. Um, so the studies on, on biceps curls, you know, looking at some of these more single joint movements, I think on a leg press, a leg press is an exercise, especially if you control it, especially single leg presses, you can really feel um, the, the contraction. And, and to focus on the actual contraction of the muscle, the data do seem to support, at least in some studies, um, uh, accelerated growth uh, when that's done. 
And I'm not sure that makes sense on, let's say, like a squat, for example, although you still want to focus on technique. Um, you're depending on the weight you put on the bar, I should say, if you're, you're purposely going to have an internal focus, maybe going a little bit lighter because you're not as concerned with getting as many reps. So it may be a little bit more difficult because you're really maybe controlling the eccentric. Um, but I, I think that's an important point too, is what are your goals? And um, if you're really focusing on contracting the muscle and having an internal focus, that could be, I don't want to say unequivocally, because uh, I'm not sure that the data is there, but it could be more effective uh, for muscle growth. So I think people should keep in mind, you know, the, their, their goals. Uh, other, the other thing too is, you know, some days somebody might just not feel like training, um, but then they jack up the music on the way to the gym and, hey, now they're ready to go. And so there's also that aspect of it too, which is, uh, you know, there's, there's, and I mentioned this term earlier, there's downstream effects of things or indirect effects. And it could just get somebody to the gym that day or just keep them more engaged in a workout. You know, toward the end of the time I was lifting weights when it was getting a bit, uh, a bit dry for me, um, I did a lot of rest, pause and drop set training. And one of the reasons I did that is it just kept me engaged. You know, I didn't have time to sit around and think, oh, what was me? My back hurts or this, or I have to get, I, you know, did a set of dumbbell bench press 20 seconds. I got to do another set, 20 seconds. I got to do another set. And it just kept me engaged. And it was really fun. Um, and so I think music might do that. The, the, the one other component, if, if I may, and I brought this terminology up earlier as something that I've become interested in is the concept of mental fatigue in training. And uh, the long story short is that potentially music could be a way to counteract mental fatigue or uh, some sort of external feedback like uh, velocity feedback or verbal encouragement um, could be a way to counteract it. So mental fatigue, acute mental fatigue, which is different than, than long-term or chronic mental fatigue in the literature, but acute mental fatigue is in the in the research is usually induced by a task that is designed to develop cognitive interference so a, a prolonged cognitive activity uh, so the way that they they test this in the literature oftentimes is to use a, something called a stroop test which has been around for many many years and so it's it's looking at um, let's say words on a on a screen a computerized test and and that word will will say blue but it'll actually be printed in pink or yellow or green or whatever. And instead of, and you'll need to read all the words, but, but not read the words. You'll need to say the color it's printed in. So blue might be in yellow and you have to say yellow. And the next one might say red, but it might be in green and you have to say green. It's a, it's a little bit more difficult than you think because it, it, it's causing cognitive interference. And people do this for 30 minutes or so. It's called the incongruent troop test. Um, and then researchers measure mental fatigue and those folks are mentally fatigued. And then it seems to have the opposite effect of what music does, which is in studies looking at squat and bench press reps to failure at moderate intensity, it seems to decrease reps performed by, you know, one, two, three reps, something like that. And there was one study that came out not too long ago and actually reviewed it in mass. And it looked at counteracting this by uh, verbal encouragement, um, 
uh, after the mental fatigue had set in. And it did show that you could counteract mental fatigue with that type of external feedback or external motivator. And so, you know, not all of us are at the gym with, with a training partner. Maybe you train at home and, and you don't have that. Uh, but music could potentially, um, at least, you know, theoretically, because it serves a similar concept as verbal encouragement or velocity feedback. Music could fill that gap if you have a, you know, difficult day at, at school or work or you're coming to the gym mentally fatigued. You know, we have, we all have other responsibilities and you're, you're getting in and you're training right away. Uh, potentially, you know, uh, music could could serve that purpose to to counteract it. So I think that's another aspect of music. I also find mental fatigue uh, pretty fascinating and what the data is showing on that. But you know, that's kind of another indirect downstream effect where it's not necessarily a direct, hey, we're going to add reps to the set here. But you're having a you get into the gym after sitting in the office for all these hours. Um, you're feeling a bit down uh, from the day, uh, but it could get you going a little bit and then perhaps counteract some of that mental fatigue kind of that bit of an ergogenic aid that isn't going to impact your sleep negatively in that way. Uh, so yeah. a much healthier, healthier source to go down and um, definitely, definitely interesting. And I, I definitely see the mental fatigue. I even think of when I'm like mentally fatigued, physically fatigued within sessions, sometimes like I can't even have music going in my ears. Like it's like loud, it's upbeat. And I'm just like, actually, I'm like, it's just fatiguing me more even to hear it. Like it's almost arousing me in a situation where I, I can't be aroused and I'm just like, I just got to execute this lift. I, I don't know if that's something you've ever experienced as well, Mike. Yeah, it's kind of annoying, right? Like you're, you're just not in that state for it. Um, and, and so, because it, it's so interesting, right? Sometimes you're, you're down, you're tired, you know, I'm driving to the gym, motorhead pops on, I'm ready to go, right? Uh, diamond head pops on, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, but other times you're, you're training, you've been in the gym a while and you're just, you know, you're kind of in a state it's, it's whether you're just really trying to, to focus, um, or maybe you're, you're thinking about something else in, in, in life or whatever it may be. And you're just not in a position where you want to hear that even a song you like comes on and, and, and you're like, I, I can't do this right now. Um, I need to, I need to turn that off. And, and that, that's the case too. And so I, I think, you know, when we consider the the research, you know, everybody should kind of keep that in mind because that's in a controlled laboratory setting. Everybody knows, you know, even if they don't know the exact, uh, you know, outcome the researchers are looking at, they, they realize they're testing the effects of music. They're listening to the music. They're getting a bit more amped up. And that's generally what we're going to find. But that doesn't take into account the human emotion on a day-to-day -day basis over many years of training. And there are going to be days where, hey, you just can't can't do that you're not you're not gonna yeah. not gonna benefit from that um or at least even exercises right this may be the kind of thing whereas you know somebody really needs to focus on their technique um you know on a squat or on a snatch if they're doing the weight lifts uh but then they're they're going to you know rest pause uh, dumbbell shoulder press and uh you know then then you got to put on the delts playlist um uh you know so because it, it's not something that you have to uh uh, you have to focus on uh, quite as much from a technique perspective. So I, I think that's, it's definitely true. And I have found that, that at times uh, you just kind of want to, sometimes you, you you do want that uh, external motivator and sometimes you don't. Yeah. It's funny. I've even found myself trying to save certain songs for certain scenarios. And if I abuse a song, like sometimes I come across a song and I'm just like, that is it. That like, switches me right on in the right way um and i'm like i if i abuse it 
it no longer does it for me. I have to find a different song. It's it's really strange, but it is that kind of like just habituation to to certain songs, kind of similar to like getting potentially desensitized from caffeine or habituated to it. And you need more to kind of get that that feeling. It's like I need more volume, or I need to find a different kind of take on that same song. Yeah, I don't know scientifically, but I have a an anecdote for you if you if you care about an yeah. anecdote. And so, uh, um, you know, I'm a big I'm a big uh, uh, you know rock fan. Um, you know, a lot of, I listen to a lot of metal, a lot a lot of thrash metal, but then then a lot of bands before that um, as well. And so, um, you know, e- even before kind of like the ni- the 1980s, not that I was around then. I, I can ask Helm so he can tell us. Uh, but um, you know, I-, I also listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin, and so. Um, I, I got into a thing, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, uh, where when I would have a big set, uh, I would always listen to stairway to heaven and I would let it, let it build. And then, um, you know, kind of toward the end when it really builds up, I, that's when I would, you know, kind of unrock the bar and, and, and start the set. Um, and, but I would refuse to listen to it any other time because I, I wanted it to have that effect. Um, but because it's, you know, one of the greatest songs ever written, if it would come on the radio where it would come <laughs> yeah. on the playlist, um, I, out of respect, I wouldn't skip it and I wouldn't turn it off. I would just turn the volume down and let yeah. it play. And, um, that's probably pretty weird, but I felt like, I was like, I can't, I can't skip stairway to heaven. That's, that's <laughs> wrong. But I also can't listen to it because, I got a plus set tomorrow and I got to nail it um, as if that was the only way I would do well on it. So I would turn the volume down on the radio and let it play. And then when the song was over, I would, I would turn it up, but I, I, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to, to, to the song, but yeah, I I think there's, there's probably some of that, you know, scientifically, I I can't, I can't say, Um, but you know, if anything you habituate to, or it's just kind of, if it becomes kind of boring, if you will, not that you don't like the the song anymore, but whatever it is that you do, if, if, you know, you're viewing your velocity as well, and that becomes kind of boring or, you know, you're, you're training in the same gym with the same thing. It's, it's, you know, it becomes kind of boring, but Hey, all of a sudden, you know, Steve, I, I bet, you know, we, we both might have good training atmospheres and I, you know, I'm doing a different type of training now, but let's say I was still lifting and, and we have good training atmospheres. That's cool. But I bet if, uh, uh, you know, we were to meet up and train together, uh, that day, I'd be super jacked up. Like, you know, we've never got a training session in, right? So like, that would be, that would be a, an, another external motivator that day. So it's, it's something different. So I, I think it's probably along those lines where something can get a little bit stale, but Hey, you have a new training environment, um, new people you want to do well that day. Yeah. That's, that's probably gonna have an effect. So the same song over and over and over again. Yeah. May, maybe, maybe you need to switch it up. It's really interesting. I'm just thinking uh, it kind of brings me to like motivation to train and everything and, I think a lot of people poo poo on that. And then, but when I think about it, like a lot of things I do are trying to like keep that motivation and drive. And I find when I am motivated and driven, I I probably put more effort towards my training. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that specifically, but it's just, it makes me think of that uh, in the same way. And I've, for the longest time, I was actually, I think it was based off something I'd seen shared by James Hoffman. He was talking about music and uh, as an ergogenic aid. And I kind of made an infographic a long time ago and it was like, 
deloading, listen to podcasts. Week one, like listen to some tunes that you enjoy, not too loud. And then like as the mesocycle goes on and stuff gets harder, maybe volume goes up, you're closer to failure or what have you. Like listen to your best songs at the loudest volumes. Like that's when you're kind of giving it your all, like periodizing this ergogenic aid. And I've kind of been semi good at that, but I still find like for a like three RER set of leg press or something challenging, like a, like a leg movement in general, like I still need to get a little bit jacked up. But I do not, similar to the volume, I'll try and keep the volume a bit lower if I'm using like a song that I like, because then I can use that in future. Yeah, I don't know, like again, I can't say it's scientifically completely based, sure. but anecdotally but you know, I, I found it. Yeah, you know, I, I think it might be good though to to do take the approach you are, whereas yeah, you, you, you need to get, you know, a little bit excited for a three RAR set, but you don't want to go over the top. You don't need to go over the top. And, you know, I, I remember when I first started training, you know, every set was, you know, you, you know, you're super young, you're super enthused about it and, and there's no other way. Um, and you make progress regardless because you're new and it just doesn't matter that much. Um, but again, you can't maintain that level of excitement intensity and if you try to you're probably gonna have so much fatigue from set to set uh that I, i'm not sure it's worth it to be able to do that um so i i, I like the approach and, and remember the data we're looking at is every set to failure just looking at reps performed it's not considering um a a entire training session not just one exercise for a few sets. And some of those Balmain studies are just one set. Um, so it's not considering an entire training session. You know, perhaps during that training session, there need to be times where the external feedback is a bit higher and then other times where it's a little bit lower. If you have an hour or two hour training session across all these various exercises. Um, and then if you're training four times a week. So that's another thing about acute studies. It doesn't necessarily tell you how somebody's going to react if they, they keep doing this. Think if you train three days in a row and every session is two hours and you go crazy with that music every the fourth day you got to go back to the gym or however many it, it, it might be a little sluggish whereas yeah. you might not have been sluggish if you were a bit more reserved on some sets and so you know i think it always sounds funny to some to say because it's not saying give less than your best effort if, if anything i'm gonna you know crush it every single time every single set is that really you trying as hard as you can to be the best over the long term. It, it, it's you know it, people like to say the term like you know work, work, work smarter not harder type of deal and I and I get that but I I I also think in terms of effort there's different types of effort um, and yeah you have that effort okay I'm going to go all out on the set that's great but if you're really putting in your best effort your best effort is considering all of those factors. And then how is this going to impact tomorrow and the next day, next day and so forth? And 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 if you do that, I think that's really the best effort. Um, yeah. And that goes back to probably having a coach too, right? Being able to say to you, yeah. "Hey, you know, you need to you need to consider these things." Because when it's just up to you, well, you you almost always think, "Well, I could do I could do another rep, right? I could do that. I'm I'm going to do it. Why wouldn't I do it?" Um, or it's the immediate, right? You feel great when you crush the set and then after training, you, you sit back, you eat, you feel awesome. And and we all want that feeling, right? Um, when you train, you know, shy of failure, don't do as much one day or a little bit lower volume on that day, or don't, you know, put the music up, get excited. You, you, you might have a good workout, but you don't have that same feeling at the end of the yeah. day. 
Um, and so sometimes, you know, to sh- bring it back to where we're at the beginning, having a coach, that person might be able to, to keep you in, in check a little bit. So uh, to your point, I, I think that um, that approach is, is, is a good idea to, to not um, go all out every set, if you will. And I, you know, I think of that from, from, from running right now, you know, uh, typically run, um, I should say I pretty much always run six days a week, sometimes, you know, double. So nine, 10, you know, runs a week, two of those will not be designated as full easy runs. So if I run nine times, seven of them will be, it'll be whatever miles easy. And that's two, three minutes, four minutes slower than marathon pace. Easy. Um, because you're training so frequently and you go in the next day. And then if you have a hard workout, um, you know, it's a bit different. So th- think of if you were to, if somebody does train to failure and, and you know, running is similar to squatting. If you go and you say, hey, I'm going to, going to, going to squat or whatever, um, similar in terms of the, let's say the fatigue that could come, uh, say I'm going to squat to failure every day. How, how's that going to go? Um, you know, for, for reps, right. For reps, uh, probably not, probably not too well. So, um, you know, it, it's, if somebody were to say, Hey, I'm going to train to failure twice a week. And the other day is non-failure. Cause I don't want to get too fatigued. That's a, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, but somebody say, Oh, I'm going to go in and get, you know, super excited every day and just jack up the music, ammonia cap every day, have some, my training partner yelling at me every single set. I don't know how sustainable that is. Now I'm thinking I need to get some ammonia caps for those like crazy sessions. I've never done uh, ammonia ever. No? Well, I yeah, I, I've seen I have seen people doing it literally like in the gym, getting jacked up with like a gym buddy, sniff the ammonia, go in and crush whatever set it is, and it's like, man, that must you must just feel trashed after that set. <laughs> like you know, I can't imagine trying to do more. <laughs> you know, there's some data on that too, and and it's not. Um, I'd have to go back and look at it. If I'm being honest, I wrote about it in mass some years ago. Um, I believe in the study that I wrote in both men and women, it did not improve max deadlift performance. Um, and so I, I, would have to go back and look at some of those other studies, but the data I don't think is, is overwhelmingly positive to show ammonia to improve max strength. Um, that being said, as somebody who has partaken in many, many, many ammonia caps, um, <laughs> especially when I was, you know, I did some, some, well, some years ago now I, I max squatted every day for, for well over a hundred days. And, uh, I did that. I, I started doing it twice a day at, at, at one point. And, uh, I definitely used ammonia way too frequently. Um, but I was tired. I was fatigued and I, I got really strong. I mean, it was miserable, but I, it, it's got really strong. I should say I got strong at that exact activity. I don't think it was good for anything else. Um, but, uh, yeah, I use ammonia, I use ammonia a lot. And, uh, you know, I, it's hard to say though, because you don't have, you know, that's not a comparison. It's an N of one, but it's, it's an observation. It's not a comparison to, cause you can't really compare one day to a different day. Um, to say if it helped performance, but if you're, if anybody, people listening, have been to powerlifting meets, you know, it comes down to third deadlift time. You'll see broken ammonia caps all over the floor. Um, and, and everybody's utilizing them. And I was certainly no exception to that, but that's another thing like, like music, you know, that, that may be beneficial for someone, um, you know, on that third deadlift out of powerlifting meet and they're a good lifter, uh, their technique is, is sound and they can control it. Right. Um, they're not holding it 
right at their nose uh, that's it's here because let me tell you if that thing if that if you have a bottle of let's say nose torque if you have a money cap that's broken that's out here you're still getting it pretty strong if you're right here it's uh-huh. it's 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 a bit too much and so someone may impair their performance if they're they're you know, especially on a powerless team, you make a technique error and you just miss the lift altogether, not because you weren't strong enough, but because you weren't focused. Um, so I think that's that's something that somebody I probably wouldn't recommend usage until somebody is at a, a higher level and they really need it. And yeah. it's for that specific purpose of a one RM. Um, and then even then it's very sparingly, you know, if they're gonna do it in a meet maybe once or twice in the 10 weeks leading up just to practice so they know what it feels like and see if it works for them. It reminds me of, I remember watching, I think it was like a documentary of Eddie Hall for his world record breaking deadlift. And he said he had to go to this like deep, dark place, I think related to his like children and wife being murdered and killed or like a car accident or something. And he had to lift the car off and he like envisaged this thing. He said he he only used it like very sparingly for like a max performance deadlift like for for the the record because he otherwise it, it just wouldn't work doing more than that and also i think he said it was like psychologically very traumatizing to to try and imagine such a thing <laughs> i'm sure yeah and uh you know you see it you know ammonia caps are most often used just to wake people up right so you'll see it right. like in a hospital um uh, i see it in hockey games a lot i'm a big hockey fan i'll see you know, guys come over to the bench. Um, I'm one of seven hockey fans in the state of Florida here in, in the USA. Um, although the team here, that's 20 minutes from my house, Florida Panthers are doing quite well as we record this in the NHL playoffs. Um, but uh, yeah, it's used, they see it in, in sports like that. People are down uh, down on the ice or down the field. Um, somebody's pretty out of it and they need to wake them up a bit. So um, to use it to increase max strength performance is actually a bit of an extrapolation from how it's typically used um it's just you know most of us in this area we we see it in the area of lifting performance and so i think it's probably an individual thing and and and, yeah. and used sparingly um but similar to music if done too much or if the arousal is too high i think it could be a negative yeah i totally see that and actually similar i was going to say with your coaching point through these things in terms of like doing too much too soon essentially and looking longer term versus the short term i wonder if that's why a lot of bodybuilders end up getting coaches to stage because bodybuilders notoriously speaking as one are quite short term want to go hard out the gates and they need that kind of coach in their corner to hold them back so they don't use every like all the cardio or like the lowest calories possible and they end up burning out and not being able to kind of bring their best to stage and they have that person like holding them back a little bit it's kind of a good comparison to the training where people might not be able to envisage it the same way yeah i i I think so as well and and you know on that it just it just got me thinking maybe maybe a little bit different for a second but you know because you mentioned going back to the coaching point and you were just talking about bodybuilding and I, I don't know how, how you feel about that. And, and far be it for me to ask you a, a question on your own podcast, but I'd be interested in, in, <laughs> in, your, in your thoughts um, just because I'm not, I'm not a bodybuilder. Um, but the whole notion of having a coach, I wonder if it's even more important in bodybuilding than this is a true question. I don't know than it is in, in, let's say, powerlifting or running, just because bodybuilding is so much more subjective. And there is the the component of 
hey, I, you know, and again, I'm not a bodybuilder, so I hope I don't sound funny with my terminology, but hey, I, I, I think my triceps look good, but I, I, I don't know. Um, or maybe they do, they look good to you, but that's not necessarily what the judges are looking for, um, or compared to somebody else and, and, to, and to have, you know, oh, I think I'm, I think I'm, you know, doing well. And, but a coach might say, no, you, you got, uh, five more, ki- five more kilos to lose. What are you, what are you talking about? Whereas in powerlifting, I, you can test your one RM yeah. and I can say, I'm, yeah, I'm going to win. I mean, not that you don't know if you're going to win the meet, the strongest lifter, again, to, to, to paraphrase Matt Gary, the strongest lifter doesn't always win the meet. Um, but I, I got the strongest, uh, uh, PR going into the meet. I, if I execute, I I'm doing well, I should be fine. But as a bodybuilder, is it, it would be more, even more important thinking about how important it is to have a coach, uh, than some of these other disciplines because of that subjective component. What do you, what do you think? I just, I just don't know from not being in that world. Yeah, I think it it is definitely trickier because a lot of bodybuilders also, especially like first timers, they just have no awareness because they haven't been to many shows. So they really don't know where they stack up apart from they see pictures on social media, which is not the best gauge because every person, every bodybuilder can look amazing in a photo on their own, but you put them up against some others with better line, symmetry, muscularity, condition, and suddenly it's like a completely different uh, ball game. So yeah, some first time competitors, they need to be like reined in and be like, okay, you're not going to go pro your first season. Like let's get some realistic expectations because there are some amazing natural bodybuilders here. But similarly, uh, you get some people that just are so unaware of how good they are. And it's just like, they are again they're comparing themselves to the internet and just how like they just think they're they're nowhere near these other people it's like ah they've taken good pictures good angles good filters or something it's like you've actually got a great physique here so i think that is where a coach comes in who they've taken many people to stage maybe they've even been they've been to a lot of shows so they have a really good awareness of like the standards and what people can expect because yeah that's the biggest thing a lot of people at least who i work with are like i don't know if i have a physique that's kind of ready to step on stage yet and they're looking for someone to give that outside perspective because they, they just uh, feel clueless in that regard yeah uh, it, it's interesting to hear I, I think that's the last point um is quite interesting saying like and i think it, there's probably some that are ready and some that aren't ready somebody saying like i, I just please tell me i, I legitimately don't know <laughs> yeah. um i, I want to know i want to know if i'm putting myself in a position to succeed um, and I think that's, you know, the main job of a coach, right, is to put that person in a position to succeed. And, uh, um, you know, a coach, too, can pay attention probably better than the individual to all of those other factors, to the competition, if they need to pay attention to the competition uh, that's out there, the other people they're be competing against and so forth, because that's that's their job. And so, you know, coaching is obviously about so much more than just, you know, writing a uh, writing a program. Uh, putting the the training numbers down on paper, putting um, you know how, how many grams of carbs, fats, and proteins down on paper. Protein or uh, coaching is so much more than that, and it, it's it's probably difficult to get the all encompassing experience if you're coaching yourself. Um, you know, you 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 may not always be honest with yourself, even though you kind of know the know the truth, but you also don't have that aspect to be able to let your feelings, 
you know, known to somebody, ah, I'm frustrated by this. I'm, I'm, you know, ah, I don't know about this. And, and, and maybe you're right to be frustrated sometimes, right? We, we all think, okay, it's good to get our, our emotions out. And then somebody can tell us, yeah, that's, you know, don't worry, you're doing great. But maybe sometimes the right thing is to say, you're not doing great, right? That's also yeah. an appropriate response too, and, and very helpful sometimes. And you don't have somebody to tell you that, uh, if, if you're, if you're doing it yourself. So, yeah, it just it just struck me that in, in, in bodybuilding with the subjectivity and, and so many other moving moving parts, it, it, it's probably a discipline that is uh, extraordinarily beneficial um, to to have a coach. Yeah, you're right. There's there's d- different characters. Some need to be held back, as in they keep chasing for more condition. When you're just like you're chasing condition at the sacrifice of other muscle groups, which is going to overall bring a worse result to stage or a worse look to stage a worse package and then you have other individuals where they're almost looking for every scapegoat to slow down and it's tough and you just need to like be there to be like i understand but if you want to do this like you need to get more condition to bring like the better look to stage and you need to almost encourage them like they can work harder but they almost self-sabotage or like there's so much psychology that goes into those final steps to stage and uh, to your point actually i um, had do you know Brett Freeman? You may have heard of Brett Freeman. He's I, I know the name. I don't know uh, don't know him, but I'm I'm aware of of his name, and he's he's quite a successful bodybuilder, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, very good bodybuilder, um, and like gets in insane shape and has done like incredibly well with the WMBF and is a pro. Anyway, he was like in my corner, like I was communicating with him a lot towards the final stages, and that told me enough that I want to get like someone in my corner, at least to, to consult with on that basis again, but every time, because that feedback of like, like even as small things as like, you look great. Like, it's just nice to have someone who you trust and you know, right. is not bullshitting you to say that. Whereas like, if your wife says it to you or your, your best mate, it's just like, yeah, they're always going to say it. So, um, or like you need to, we need to dig harder and you're already suffering, but you know, Hey, I'm going to trust them. They know what's right. Let's go. I can yeah. do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's the last point I like a lot, which is that, you know, sometimes it's, you know, so people are being hard on themselves and, and a coach or somebody is there to say, Hey, you know, it's okay. Like maybe you need a break or it's, it's okay. But sometimes that person needs to tell you, Hey, yeah, I know you're tired, but too bad. You yeah. wanted to do this. You want to be successful. I'm here to help you do that. And, and, and so much of coaching it's, it's, and so many things in life, right? It's, it, it, it's not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. And that's something that my father always told me from, from, from when I was young. Right. And, and you can say, you know, lots of things. It's, it's, if you're playing on a team with somebody in a team sport and they, they didn't play well that game, but they didn't give the effort. You can tell them, you can't say, Hey, uh, you know, terrible effort. How about you do better? Like if you say that it's, it's going to most likely go poorly. Um, but if you pull that person aside and say, Hey, you know, tough, tough game today for us, you know, I, I made some mistakes out there and then should have, should have really done a better job. I can think of this and, uh, you know, appreciate everything that you're, you're, you're bringing to the team. Uh, you know, I noticed on this one play and I probably could have improved on this as well. On this one play, you know, you, 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 uh, um, 
you know, you, you came over here, but you really should have, uh, it would have been nice. Maybe next time just try, try switching the field because once you receive the ball here, you, you know, you could turn. And, um, and, you know, I did that too in the first half and that sort of thing. And they're going to receive that a little bit better. Um, and I think that's, that's a, a lot of coaching and, and finding somebody that is able to communicate effectively and have that, the personality that matches you. Now, th- it doesn't mean there aren't some people that don't benefit from being told like, uh, Hey Steve, uh, maybe just not be so terrible. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think that's a minority, but I think that exists too. Um, but just taking that concept of, it's not necessarily what you say, but it's, it's how you say it. And that's really any, anything in life. It's in, it's in business. It's in, it's in school. It's in, you know, it's in bodybuilding, powerlifting. Yeah. That's, uh, it's like you said before, that's what coaching is. It's not the programming. It's the kind of communication troubleshooting the relationship and communication between the two individuals that's like so paramount and if you don't have that either from coach or client like it just breaks down completely especially for these like competitive sports but even for just like general muscle gain or fat loss like if you don't have that rapport with someone it's just uh, it can quite easily crumble yeah for anything because you know that that uh, the the lifter or the athlete um the client they have to believe in that person um, it's, it's not just the training, it's, it's the person, you know, right, right now. And I, you know, my, uh, uh, my coach, she, she happens to be one of, one of my closest friends. Um, so, so I have, I have a lot of trust in her, but I, I believe in her coaching, like unequivocally. Um, I have no, you know, and, and it doesn't mean it's not to say like, don't question things like you should always question, right? It, it's not that it's just that. You know, it's a part of my life I don't really want to have to think about, and I, I believe in what she's she's um, you know the training she's writing for me, and so that that interaction that you're talking about, Steve, is you know getting that that person to the client to believe in in the coach as a person too. They they need to part of believing in training is feeling comfortable that that person has your best interest in mind. Not only they know what they're doing practically, scientifically, those things, but they have your best interest in mind and they want you to succeed. And that comes and that trust is developed through those series of conversations. Of course, there has to be a level of success at a certain point. Um, if if they're a good person, they're helping you, and then you're just not being successful. Then perhaps it's time to move on. Um, but even if you are being successful, you, you still have to have that that trust. And I would say if somebody has a coach and they are super successful, in part, it's probably because they do believe in the individual that's coaching them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it may have even been Greg that did like a review of like the same program, but one person, like one group had a coach, whereas the other one was just like, they just followed the program just having the program with the coach it was they're doing the same thing because they had a coach there that was guiding them and giving them advice they saw better results i think it was something along those lines i'm trying it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case but that's kind of what you're talking to yeah yeah greg may very well have written that article i'm trying to remember um back through the the archives um you know it's been Oh man, it's been six years now and, and hundreds and hundreds Crazy. and hundreds, hundreds of articles in mass. So I'm trying to recall all of them, but that, that seems like something that Greg would be interested in too. Um, so I would not be surprised at all to go back and, 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 and find that article. And those results don't, don't sound surprising to me either. But, and you're completely right in terms of like, yeah, clearly 
you you can't don't not ask questions to your coach like they should be able to like answer your questions and be able to have feedback that goes back to like the really poor bro bodybuilding coaches like my way or the highway like if why you like i'm your coach do what i say but at the same time once they have answered quite a lot of your questions or continue to answer them like you should trust them trust in the program and move forward with it i think that that's so well said uh, i don't know if you have anything else mike on the topic of uh, talking about the, the music, I think we covered that pretty well. I thought that was very interesting. Um, anything else on um, kind of coaching, but I think it's kind of, I don't know, an appropriate time to, to wrap up. It's been a fantastic discussion with you, Mike. And um, obviously we mentioned the research review quite a number of times, but is there anything anywhere else people should head to kind of learn about the, the work you're doing uh, or is um, mass the best place? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, mass is the best place. You know, our, our research lab is, um, uh, is, is doing well. And I have, I'm so thankful to have, um, so many wonderful students and, uh, some of those students have a, uh, uh, um, a company called data driven strength. And, um, uh, I, want I know the to, guys. Okay. I want to mention that because those guys are phenomenal. Um, they didn't ask me to mention it. They don't know I'm, you know, mentioning it. I, I don't, they're just, I'm just super grateful for them and, and want to make sure that, people are directed to their work because when you have students, the, the, the biggest thing is that you want them to go on and exceed your capabilities. And, and I can say unequivocally, the guys in that company have already done that, even though they're still my students and I'm super grateful for them. So, um, I would recommend uh, checking them out uh, if, if you're not already familiar. Um, and then of course you can see our research on, on, on PubMed, Google Scholar. Uh, if, you, if you search my name, search uh, uh, Florida Atlantic University Muscle Physiology Lab. But in terms of mass, monthly applications and strength sport, um, you know, we just uh, recently had our sixth anniversary, uh, been around for a long time now, you know, probably over seven, 800 articles that we've written over time. And, and I'm really excited. We just, um, uh, uh, introduced a new partner to the team. Uh, so it's, it's myself, uh, Eric Trexler, uh, Eric Helms and Lauren Colenzo Semple. Uh, Lauren is a, a PhD candidate, uh, at McMaster university. Uh, and, uh, she has been absolutely phenomenal to work with so far. And then so many levels, um, bringing some new topics, some new articles to mass, uh, soon we're going to be, uh, I don't know, uh, exactly when this, um, uh, a podcast is, is going to be released, but, uh, soon we're going to be live on massresearchreview.com. Um, and so you'll be able to see, uh, um, our website there and to check us out a little bit more, um, can subscribe to mass if, if you're interested, but, um, uh, just really believe in what we do. Grateful for our team. And, and, uh, you know, Greg Knuckles was with us for a number of years and, and, uh, he's got his, another company that's doing fantastic and, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm already, <laughs> already missing him because, uh, he is just a, a great guy. And, and, uh, fortunately we still chat pretty much every single day. Um, but grateful to have Lauren on board and, uh, excited for, for mass. So if anybody's interested, check us out. Um, go check out those guys over at data driven strength that uh, just just want to mention them because grateful for the for those students um and what they do and they deserve all of the credit there's so, you know just on that on that steve not to to take us any longer but it's it's so uh uh enjoyable uh to see new people like like those students um come into the fitness space and and just do super well um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the, the future of what we're seeing and what we're doing. And, and the, because of, you know, what you're doing, what other people have done, the information, um, and the magnitude of information is so much more 
than it was a decade ago. And so when I see the data driven strength guys and I see, you know, other people that are, are, are so much, you know, so much younger and so much newer, um, just such a huge credit to them for, uh, for, for learning and taking this information. I think taking it past where, you know, a, a lot of other people have. So, um, credit to them and then very cool to see new people get into the field, but that's my long response to where you can find me and, and, uh, just some general ramblings, if you will, but thanks as always, man, it's a pleasure. I, I don't know how I didn't uh, cotton on that they were part of your lab because I follow um, everyone from data uh, data driven strength. Da- it feels so wrong to say data for some reason. <laughs> I would say data driven strength. I don't know why I just became American. I do it with loads of my words. Uh, so um, I've actually had them on like my list of like potential future guests. So Hi- highly uh, recommend. Yeah, Zach, yeah, Zach Robinson, Josh Pelland, and then uh, uh, Jake Rummert is also working with them. And those are those are actually my three current PhD students. Um, amazing yeah and and uh the to see the work that they do you know uh, outside of their company just in the lab um I, I tell them all the time i was messaging with zach the other day and uh he said how how's you know how's this and i certainly you know have have comments and can hopefully still teach them some things but i said i, I couldn't have written this when i was at your stage I, I wasn't i wasn't that capable i don't know if i could write that now and um to see what they're doing and and the independence of, of, and, and it's not just them. I, I know other labs have other fantastic students as well, but the independence of, of some of these uh, uh, PhD students at that age and even master students to be able to seek information on their own. Um, and for anybody that is interested in, in grad school or is going to grad school, I think that is a huge part of it, which is you're going to have interaction with your advisor, with your major professor in your research lab, if you're interested in research. Um, but that's not enough. Uh, it has to be on your own, finding new papers, always being on top of the literature. Um, if you're interested in this, uh, and I mean this very seriously, listening to podcasts like Re- Revive Stronger or Iron Culture or these other these other things that are putting out this great information because what you learn practically can help influence the ideas that you're bringing into the research lab. And so um, it's, it's the, these individuals have done such a good job of being so independent and uh, for anybody that is interested in, in graduate school in the field. And I think there have been a, a huge uh, increase in the number of people that are, are seeking advanced education, actually as physiology over the past decade that are, you know, in the fitness industry, which is a yeah. great thing. Um, to to be as independent as you can and uh, be reading outside of, of just what you're learning in the lab and and they'll come into the lab with things and uh, uh, I'll say uh, I'll say yeah did you see this this I'll say what's that now and uh, he'll be like yeah I, I just I set up this whole apparatus to um, test rate of force development and uh, um, I'll look at it I'll say wow that that would have that would have taken me a couple of weeks to learn and you know did it in a day. And yeah. so it's, 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 it's pretty cool. So if somebody's interested in pursuing that, that would be my advice. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to see. And I think it's only thanks to people like yourself and Eric Helms and Brad Schoenfeld who have kind of got people really interested in the field. And there's just so many more people are, like you said, applying and going in that direction. Like if I was, I don't know, 10 years younger, um, I feel like I maybe would have gone that way if, if I'd kind of had more direction in what I wanted to do. So it, that's awesome. And then uh, with Lauren, I actually had been um, meaning to reach out to someone. So it's better to ask you. I I'm, had been thinking to ask her to come onto the podcast because I've I'd seen her come through. So if she's in, into like podcasts and things, I'd definitely be interested in kind of getting some details from her. So I might have to talk to you afterwards about that, Mike. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know she was on Iron yeah. Culture recently. And um, yes, yeah, actually, I, I saw. 
Yeah, I would I would highly recommend reaching out. The I, I've learned it an enormous amount from her in a short amount of time. And so if anybody out there isn't familiar with with Lauren Colenza Semple, you'll see her as a uh, as a partner in Mass and uh, reviewing uh, research every every month in Mass. She had our cover story um, in May. Um, uh, the, we put out a cover story each month, which is, which is actually free to read. And, and so internally we selected that as, as, you know, what we thought should be the, the, the cover, the, the best, uh, article of the issue, if you will. So yeah, I highly recommend Lauren is, is, is phenomenal. I think it'll be a great episode. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I can only highly recommend mass. Uh, like I've had it, uh, thankfully had access the entire time you've been there. And it's just nice to, again, keep adrift with the research as a practitioner myself. Like I don't have time to be like going on PubMed and researching things like all the time. And even now there's so much, like I can just search and I can find things that I want to like uh, discover new things about, or maybe I'm creating an infographic and you guys have like collected the the, the kind of information there. So it's, it's fantastic, not just from a coaching perspective and myself learning and, and helping my clients, but also like being a coach in the industry, trying to put out good information. It's like a credible place that is uh, kind of reviewing the research better than I ever could hope to. So it's been invaluable in that sense. So I have to like, I highly appreciate what you guys are doing and uh, yeah, definitely would direct people to take a look into that because I don't think they'd be disappointed. So yeah, with without further uh, kind of chatting and uh, talking to you, Mike, I guess I should let you go. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and Mike, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. So guys, take care and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.